Gamers Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Laz Tanti, and this is a very special episode of the Two Big Gamers Podcast. And joining me, as always, is my good mate, Mr. David Rizzuto. David, how you going, man? Yeah, I'm good, Laz. How are you? Not bad, not bad, man. Are you pumped? Oh, yeah, you can definitely say that. We have a very special guest today. Yes, yeah, and I think it's our first interview. On the, yes, uh, it is. Our very podcast, first interview, huh? yeah. And uh, he goes by the name of Mr. Lee Jackson. Mr. Lee Jackson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Good. How you been feeling, my friend? Been feeling okay. Been feeling okay. Uh, hanging in there as best I can. That's all right. That's good, man. Um, how's the weather over there at the moment? Right now, very nice. Very nice indeed. That's good. Very good. All right. If you're ready, man, we can start the episode. And um, yeah. Okay. So um, my first question is, um, how did you get um, your start in the video game industry? Uh, Pretty much by uh, being there at the right time. Uh, I was a moderator of one of the old Fidonet echoes back on uh, uh, the old BBS scene, uh, the old bulletin board system scene. And uh, <clears throat> I wasn't too happy with my old job. And I expressed that to uh, one of the people who worked in the video game industry. And he uh, mentioned that to one of his bosses and his boss invited me to come up for an interview. And this was an interview for, uh, a position in tech support, not in working for what I did eventually. Um, uh, I got the job and worked for about a year in tech support. But uh, during that time, uh, got introduced to some of the developers who moved in, uh, who were working on Rise of the Triad. And while that was going on, I had been writing music, of course. Uh, I'd been writing music this entire time, and I'd been messing around with music writing software while well, I got my hands uh, on a copy of Cakewalk uh, for Windows, thanks to Mark Dockerman, one of the developers on Rot, and that started everything off. If it wasn't for Cakewalk, I wouldn't be where I am today. I still use Cakewalk to this day. I mean, it's a powerful piece of software, and now it's free for anybody to use. Uh, I highly recommend it. If you're into MIDI uh, software, if you're looking to get into MIDI editing uh, or any kind of music composition, or if you're looking to get into writing music for video games or just writing music for the computer, Cakewalk by BandLab is what it's called now. Just look that up on Google. Yep. You can't, you can't go wrong, but I digress anyway. Uh, going back to the story, Mark Dockerman helped get me into uh, get me into writing music uh, on the computer that was more tailored towards video games, and I started bringing stuff up to him to the head of the team that he was on, uh, a guy by the name of Tom Hall, and this first stuff that I brought up was pretty embarrassing. Uh, but Tom didn't dissuade me. Uh, he was nice enough to uh, let me keep bringing stuff up. And eventually, uh, 
I started getting my foot into the door and uh, got it in far enough that I got offered a chance to write the music for Rise of the Triad. Now, I was only given six weeks to do that, though, uh, but um, at least I was given the chance. So that's how I got my, got my foot in the door to, to doing music for video games. It's a weird path. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but uh, that's how I got into it. Well, that's, that's pretty cool, man. Um, let's go back to the tech support. Um, what games were you uh, troubleshooting at the time when you were uh, working with tech support? Uh, everything that Apogee Software put out. Um, yeah. the, the original Duke Nukem. One, uh, two, yeah. yeah, one. Uh, Duke Nukem 2, I think, had just come out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, Crystal Caves. Um, Cross. Cross, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the original Cross. Which was developed uh, by... Um, uh, Scott Miller. Scott Miller, that's right. Yeah, Scott Miller. Yeah. That, yeah. I was, yeah. I was do, doing that. I was doing the Commander Keen series. Commander I was Keen, doing yeah. Wolf, Wolfenstein 3D. Wolfenstein, yeah. And Spear of Destiny. Um, all of those games. And uh, additionally, I had taken on the, posi the uh, volunteer position of uh, OS2 guinea pig i set my system up to run os2 and had tested all of the games running under os2 in a dos box right and so i i was always kind of into running things on systems that nobody else wanted to try okay that's just just the way i am i always like to run weird stuff i like to use linux when i could uh if cakewalk would run on linux i'd use linux if i could now but unfortunately i'm stuck using windows just like everybody else yeah uh, uh, I, I, I say a... i say linux is a secondary platform um but i know it's very open source linux you can do a lot of things with linux as well um, yeah a lot I of programmers Oh, yeah, so yeah, a lot of programmers tend to use Linux as well. Right. I used to run Arch Linux. That was my distro of choice, Arch okay. Linux. Right. And uh, that one was a lot of fun, uh, keeping up with all of the updates that went along with it, running all the software that was available underneath it. Uh, but just can't run music software under the way that I wanted to. I mean, okay. there are uh, MIDI editors and sound editors and digital audio workstations available for it, but none of them are as powerful as Cakewalk. Uh, if Cakewalk would run under it, I'd run it in a, in a New York minute, but I gotta run Cakewalk, sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, so for moving from tech support, um, you're working on Rise of the Triad. Um, so apparently you had six weeks to do this. So, um, so during that time, um, were you creating songs every day? To... Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much every day, every other day. I was, during that six weeks time, uh, I would go home, well, I would work out of the house. Yeah. Uh, the the way that I was set up, I was set up as a freelancer. freelancer I was still yeah. I was still employed as a tech support person. Yeah. And I would work out of the house though for the first part of the day. Then I would come home. I mean, I'm, I'm what am I saying? Come home. I would leave home go up to work and work the tech support phones while the other tech support people went to lunch. So that was, about, that was a, a couple of hours, a couple of three hours. And then I would stay on after they got finished uh, having lunch and I would talk with Tom Hall and the other developers about the music that I had been writing. Excuse me. 
and uh, go over that, go over some expectations that they might have, uh, go over feedback that they'd have, and then I'd come back home, now we get to the come home part, and I'd continue writing until it was time for me to go to bed. So it was a uh, double job life, uh, except for the freelance part, uh, me working out of the house. Uh, did that for six weeks and about every day, every other day, I would bring home a song and during that time I wrote 28 songs in six weeks time. Wow. Um, you must have been burnt out after that. <laughs> Writing all the material. I was I was on a on a on a runner's high, you could say. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know about burnt out. I, I mean, I was I was feeling it. Let's just put it that way. Mm. Uh, I could tell that something had happened, and I was still way up here in terms of uh, my adrenaline level at wow. the end of that six weeks. And I had to come down off of a hill to get back into the tech support room. It wow. was some, it was something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, apparently um, uh, Bobby Prince wrote five songs for Rise of the Tried. Yeah, he wrote about five songs. Uh, I think it was five. Okay. And uh, uh, he wrote the theme song yep. and about four other songs that went into the levels and of course he had the the apogee fanfare which i took and wrote a version of that went into the game okay so we had co-authorship on one song did you guys ever cross paths while you're working with um at apogee at the time we did later on okay uh we both worked on duke nukem 3d uh we had uh songs credited to both of us in Duke Nukem 3D and about in the first three levels he had just over 50% of the songs if you take the fourth level into account I had over 50% of the songs and then of course if you take the 20th anniversary world tour I had way over 50% of the songs um, and of course I had the theme song grab bag and I had the level one song, Stalker, uh, first, the first mission song. Okay. But yes, we did meet up with each other. He came down and uh, was playing around basically before I was there working as the music and sound director, though. He didn't come in after that point. Okay. Um, I gotta say, there's a question of uh, grab bag. That must have taken you by surprise when uh, uh, they revealed that they were going to use that song for the main theme of the game, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Put simply, that was a big surprise. A uh, bit of a story behind that, if you're interested. Um, I was uh, with the rest of the group in line to see Star Trek Generations, the first Star Trek, uh, the next generation movie. I think that was in 1994, wasn't it? Yes, uh, 94, 95. Yeah. Something like that. 95, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. And I was waiting there with my wife and my son, and we were in line. I was standing in front of Greg Malone, who was the project director, and he tapped me on the shoulder while we were waiting to go in and said, oh, by the way, we're going to use Grab Bag as a theme song for Duke Nukem 3D. <laughs> and you could have knocked me over with the beam from a flashlight. And I turned to him and said, why? <laughs> it's, level, <laughs> it's level music. He said, well, we went through all of the songs the other night, me and George, and we decided that that sounded the most like a piece of level music i mean I, I mean like a theme song so we're going to use it as a theme song i said but it's not finished <laughs> uh well we're going to use it it sounds fine so we're going to use it so i rushed to um tidy it up 
get it ready for prime time, so to speak. Um, got it fixed up and it did go in as the theme song, but when I did eventually get the music and sound director job in uh, January of 96, I was given a room with a better synthesizer than what I had. I'd been working with um, Gravis Ultrasound, I think it was at home. Either that or a Roland Rap 10, I can't remember. I think it might've been a Gravis Ultrasound. But I was given a Roland SC88 in the tech support room and a bunch of effects, uh, things like a compressor, a reverb unit, a mixer board, and two computers, one which I could play the MIDI files out through and the other one which I could record stuff into and then edit and mix stuff down. So I was given the chance to expand the basic grab bag that was heard in the original release. The original release did not have the guitar solo or the synth solo. Right. So I expanded it, put those solos in, and then put the recap in at the end and gave it the big ending with the chime note right at the end, the tail end of it. And I got uh, George's permission to get Joe Siegler, our uh, person who was in charge of online marketing and support, to put that on the CD that went out for the Atomic Edition and for the Plutonium Pack add-on. Uh, he put it on as a CD extra. So if you stuck the CD in your CD player, you'd actually hear music instead of just garbled data bits. Yep. So it wasn't announced though, it was a hidden feature. Somebody figured it out though, and word spread, and then an MP3 hit the, hit the web and that spread like fire and grab bag uh, was born. The the full version of grab bag was born. Does it make sense to you now that it's the theme song? Then originally it was tended to be a little, little song? I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, does it make sense to you now that it's a theme oh, song it makes, now? It makes plenty of sense <clears throat> now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that I've finished it, yeah. Oh it yeah, now perfect sense, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Um, if you had um, if you had a choice uh, about any other songs you would have chosen the theme song, what, what would you what would you have chosen? You, you reckon? I would have written a new song. Okay. I would have written a, a bespoke song for the theme. Um, I wouldn't have picked Grab Bag right off the bat. I'm glad that Greg Malone was there to pick it for me because he knew better than I did. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's amazing about with anything to do with the creative art um, that uh, you have a lot of collaborators where they see the beauty in something that you created still sort of in uh, sort of pre-production as opposed where you don't really appreciate it until later on once you begin working with it. I think it's just a, I mean, actually a rather amazing story where uh, you make a piece of what in your mind might be genetic music at the time and then once you get able to improve it based on the other Favorite suggestion is that you realize, yep, this I, I get it now. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If, if it wasn't like I said, if it wasn't for him, uh, I wouldn't have. I, I wouldn't be in the position that I am now with that song as a theme. Uh, him and him and George. Um, I credit Greg because he's the one that brought me the news. Uh, so, and I, I credit both of them because I was given the chance to expand it. And I'm very grateful for that, for getting the entire song out there. Because I had a lot more musical ideas for that song stuck in me. And if I hadn't been able to expand it, I would have really regretted it. Yeah, very nice. 
I heard uh, back in the day when you were looking for musical inspiration for Duke Nukem 3D uh, that you looked up a lot of uh, heavy metal bands. Well, you suggested probably a lot of heavy metal bands. Um, and you, a lot of bands were probably like Megadeth and so on. Was there any uh, particular band or any band song that inspired you the most for some of these songs? Or was it just more generic? Just uh, listen to some musical inspiration and just pick up some uh, little cues here and there and create your own uh, soundtrack for the game? Little bit of both. Um, the story of Grab Bag, which is printed out there on the internet, if you do a Google for the history of Grab Bag, you'll find links to a story. Um, the story covers me talking about pulling ideas from a bag, which is where I got the name Grab Bag yeah, of course, for, yeah. for, for the song. Um, but I did go through a bunch of albums that I'd borrowed from the developers and map makers out of uh, the tech, out of the dev room for Duke Nukem 3D. I'd borrowed uh, Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne. I'd borrowed uh, Judas Priest, Megadeth, Pantera. You name it. I if they had it and it was heavy metal, I borrowed it and I went home and listened to it in one great big binge one day. Uh, just back to front, front to back, listening to all of it. And then I sat down and started writing. Yep. And that's when I did the pull stuff out of a bag. Pull one item and think of, well, does this fit into a song? Yeah, no, yeah. Okay, we'll try something like that. I didn't steal, I manipulated it. And one of the songs that I do give credit to is Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Um, there's a modulation which gets overlooked by uh, the Megadeth version of Grab Bag. It's, my version goes the Megadeth version they take a half step there instead of a whole step down like I do and that that's the easy way to play it on a guitar you take that whole step down and it's a little bit tougher to follow through the whole song you've got to take a different chord and they're, they're taking the easy way out by doing that somebody originally played that in a different arrangement and that arrangement was sent to megadeth and that's the one that they learned how to play uh, so I don't think Megadeth ever heard my version of Grab Bag, my original version of Grab Bag. Although now, finally, after all of these years, they've finally given me credit for being the original author of Grab Bag. All these <laughs> years, all these years, they haven't even called it Grab Bag. They just call it Duke Nukem. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest, uh, the first time I heard the Megadeth's cover of the song, I did for many years think that they actually did create the song themselves. <laughs> a lot of people do. A lot of people yeah. do. I mean, who knows Lee Jackson? They know Megadeth. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, but they know Dave Mustaine and all that. And Dave Elton, yeah. That's right. What's funny with that the version of their song, though, was that I can hear a bit of a zero hour in there mixed with the original theme and it just uh, makes me just uh, wonder well it's just uh, sort of a blend of both worlds but uh, it does uh, sort of uh, just to remind you though just going back to the heavy metal influence back in those days it just reminds you how id software when they were developing um, the doom the very first doom that uh, they were also following bands like pantera slayer and allison chains and you can definitely hear it even just by like songs like pantera's this love and one of the levels and all that. And I'm just wondering that there was a just make, makes me wonder back in the day where there was a bit of an overlap between just the post era of the satanic panic, panic with the heavy metal music and violent video games. Didn't just uh, wonder if there was any controversy uh, that um, 
anyone went back back then? Uh, no, nobody uh, gave me any kind of uh, controversial feedback uh, related to the soundtrack. Uh, I kept it. Mm, I guess I kept it on the on the near side of the fence, if you want to put it that way. Uh, when it came to the the soundtrack, I wasn't that heavy in my heavy metal. Right. And only recently have I gone over to the far side. Uh, I've got one song that I've written that you could really call heavy, heavy metal. And I have not released that yet. I'm waiting for an album to come out, which will probably come out next year. Um, and I, I really want to talk about it, but I've been told by my wife I should keep my friggin' mouth shut. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and be on the good side with my wife about that. So, um, uh, but it is good heavy metal. It's gotten good beta user feedback. So look forward to it. That's all I'll say. Um, I wonder if you don't mind me asking. You sort of give us a clue about what's the type, the type of metal it is, like traditional metal, like form of Sabbath, or is it sort of thrash metal, or dare I say, death metal? No, not death metal. I'll Good. say that Point. much. Not death metal. Um, I'll say look to Europe for your answer. Ah, that's nice. Probably continental Europe. Right. When I think of continental Europe, I think of progressive metal. No. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I stand corrected then. Right. It's definitely not progressive. Fair enough. Cool. Okay, so um, I will say this: I have been there. I I have been in the presence of it, oh, and cool. it's the only hint that I will drop. I have been in the presence of it. So you can, if you. If you dig deep enough in my history, you will find that answer. Very, very nice. Cool. <laughs> I, I am feeling quite devious right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what sort of metal music can do you sometimes, I guess. <laughs> uh, awesome. So, next question. <laughs> in hindsight, um, how long did it take you to create all the songs for Duke Nukem 3D? A lot longer than it took me for Rot, I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, I started working on the Duke Nukem stuff uh, roughly right after I finished with Rot. Okay. I mean, I was told, leave the Duke Nukem guys alone. <laughs> okay. It was that close after I finished with Rod. And I didn't finish until sometime in, not counting grab bags, sometime in March or April of 1996. Okay. That's and, how long it took. Okay, right. Um, were you working from inside 3D Realms at the time, or were you, were you working from home at the time? Both. Oh, both. both. Okay. I, at first, I was working from home yeah. until I convinced Scott and George, uh, the owners of Apogee 3D Realms, that I was more—I was of more worth to them as a music and sound director than I was as a tech support person. Okay. I mean, they—I was gunning for a music person. Um, Click on that, thank you. Uh, was I was gunning to be just a music person, but they gave me the ultimatum. You know, you have you you'll get to do music, but you have to do sound effects too. And I went okay, <laughs> and about wasn't about to turn that down, and uh, somewhat regretted it later when I got into the grind of doing infinite drum, infinite gun sounds of. God, <laughs> they're never happy with gun sounds. Nobody's ever happy with gun sounds. I'll just put it that way. But um, 
or footsteps, that too. Nobody's ever happy with footsteps. Okay. But um, I was working from home until I wasn't working from home. <laughs> I was working yeah. working out of out of the office starting in around January of '96 through the end of the Duke uh, project. And where where were we pulling these sound effects from at the time for these gun sounds and stuff like that? Where was I making the sound effects? Or pulling the sound effects from? Or are we getting these from a CD or from a sound Mostly. Effects? Okay. Mostly from a CDs. I wasn't given guns to play with, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> uh, we didn't we didn't have the budget for that kind of thing. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so I was told to seek and find my own sources for stuff um, I did do a tiny bit of Foley for some sound effects not much at all Okay. some outside recording but I mean the amount was just so minuscule that it hardly qualifies Because Bobby Prince was, um, he, he did most of the sound effects, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. For, for Duke Nukem, he yeah. did almost all of the sound effects. All almost okay. all. Yeah. I recently published a list in the, the Duke Cave on uh, Facebook, the Duke yeah. Cave group. Yeah. There was a list of everything that I did for Duke Nukem 3D. Every single sound, every single song, everything. So if you go to the Duke Cave group on Facebook yep. and look at my post, you'll see everything that I did. Okay, cool. Every single, every single Bach file, every single wave, well, not wave. We didn't do waves. We did uh, Creative Labs Bach files. Every single Bach file, every single MIDI file, top to bottom. I had to do a complete accounting and I found the email where I did that. And I posted a JPEG of that up on the Duke Cave. And I also posted it in my uh, Lee Jackson audio community discussion group on Facebook, where I believe you, Laz, are a member. <laughs> yes, I am. And I'll sure to leave some, a couple of links as well in the description of this podcast. So also other people who are interested can join in join the discussions as well i would appreciate that thank you no worries so from duke nukem we moved on to shadow warrior so from this time um you were lead sound designer and also lead music designer as well for this project um so how did did this come around from uh, duke nukem 3d just a natural progression. I mean, it was the next game on the books. Next game on the list, yep. Yeah, uh, just the next deal up, and I was told, okay, next one, go get it. Uh, They were not happy with the music that was being done for it by an outside guy. Right. There were some songs that had been written. They didn't like them. So they said, okay, take it over, do them. I started off by writing MIDI songs for the shareware version of it. There were four or five MIDI files that were done for it. And I progressed to doing CD audio for it. Uh, After that, because we wanted to be more like Quake, which had done CD audio. Okay. Uh, We didn't have room on the CD for all of the songs that I'd done, so we only fit a few of the songs. Uh, We didn't fit all of the MIDI files that I did, so they got left behind. We did new, more atmospheric songs uh, at the at the orders of the higher ups. Okay. 
I'll just put, I'll just put it that way. And some of them were some of my best work, I think. Yeah, because um, it really stood out. Because uh, as I said, I've played this game usual times, and um, it really stood out the soundtrack to this. Um, pretty much drawing inspiration from Japanese music in general. Very much. I did another binge. Um, like I did with Duke Nukem 3D with the binge of heavy metal where I'd immersed myself in heavy metal. I went up and borrowed any kind of Japanese music that the developers and level designers might have and map makers, uh, artists, anything that they might have. And then I bought some of my own off of Amazon and did a binge immersion where I just listened to as much of it as I could. Uh, stuff like the music of the Kodo drummers, uh, music of Shamisen and Koto, string players of Japan, uh, Shakuhachi flute players, uh, traditional music, not so traditional music, uh, just drank it in and then applied it to songs like Okinawa, uh, Attention, um, Leap's Prophecy, um, songs of that sort, and came up with a Japanese sounding soundtrack, but one that was not traditionally Japanese. I had contemporary, a contemporary feel to it that was mainly influenced by the synthesizers that I had at, uh, at my disposal. I had, in addition to the Roland SC88, I had a new Kurzweil synthesizer, a K2500R, and I had uh, another synthesizer that I'd purchased for myself, which I still have to this day okay. sitting to my left. It's a Kawai K5000R. Uh, I've used that in several of my releases since I left 3D Realms. And they're just both, they were just both beautiful synthesizers. Uh, the Kurzweil was more of a sampler but it did have factory built sounds, but there were other things that you could do with it that just made it very, very powerful for its day and age. The Kawai is an, an additive sampler, I mean, an additive synthesizer, which makes it different from all the other synths out there. The, the other ones are either wavetable synths, FM synths, or subtractive synths. And this, this one instead starts with individual little sine waves that you just build up into uh, a brand new waveform. And that's why it, why it sounds different from everything else. And it gives you a unique tone that just sparkles at, at times, um, makes the soundtrack stand out. And that's what I put on top of everything else that was blended into uh, my work on Shadow Warrior. Mm. Because the level one music really stood out to me. Um, it, was, it was pretty very remarkable. I think it stood out more than uh, Duke Nukem 3D. It's the level one music. There's, there's a lot of work put into that, and uh, you did a really good job on that. So I'll congratulate you for that. <laughs> Thank you very That's much. Very I appreciate um, But you also handled the sound effects as well for this game as well, didn't you? Uh, I handled some of the sound effects on that. Again, a lot yep. of the sound effects came from outside. I'm not 100% sure where they came from. Okay. I, handled, I handled plenty of sound effects for it, though. Mm. I'm not sure. I don't remember which sound effects I did. Okay. I, I'm sorry to say. Uh, it was Shadow Warrior was one big blur outside of the musical realm. 
Um, I did some of the voices for Shadow Warrior. Okay. Uh, I did some of the voices for Duke too. Um, uh, one of the ones that you might recognize is the Fat Commander. Uh, that was one of my one of my favorite voices to date. The <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Suck it down. Suck it down. That's right. Yeah, that, that was me. That's awesome. That, that was me. Wow. And that, and that hurts to this day, especially when I do it without any uh, preparation. Wow. But uh, that that was a fun one, and uh, a couple of other guttural voices like that I did. Uh, and uh, the one one voice that really stands out, our queen is born. That one from the episode four cinematic. Okay. That one, that one really shocked a lot of people. Uh, the birth episode. The birth episode. Yep. Yeah, and I put together that whole cinematic. That little story behind that. Let me back up into the Duke world. Yep. I was told to come up with something for a picture that was just a picture of uh, an alien at the birth of their queen coming out of a human female. So I put together this soundscape that had all of these aliens chittering away. And this woman going, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of it, you hear, and then our queen is born. And the woman goes, and she sees the baby come out, sort of like a Rosemary's baby moment. And then all of the other aliens go, yeah. George Broussard heard that for the first time, almost jumped up in the air, called me Mozart, and ran out of the room. <laughs> Mozart. That's funny. <laughs> they went and they, they took down the picture and made a cinematic to match my sounds. Wow. That's I awesome. mean, that was quite a thing. I played the sounds for another person up there yep. i won't say i won't say their name okay they looked at me and said i am appalled by that <laughs> words to that effect. i am just i am disgusted by that and stormed out of the room and i mean i had I, I had deeply disgusted them. Wow. I mean, talk about polarizing. Mm. I got both ends of the spectrum. I mean, I went from Mozart to disgusting in one split second. <laughs> 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 wow. And that's the reaction that it got online too. I mean, in the press too. In the press, uh, right? Yeah, the press thought that it was too much. Some of the press thought that it was just way overboard. Because they're looking at the cinematic with the with the sound effects and the voices and all that stuff. Yeah, they just thought wow. it was way too much. Way too overboard. Yeah. Mm. So, um, I sat back and just went. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they went, they went ahead with it, so that's a plus. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I thought all right. I, you know, you know, this is uh, you know, if you're gonna piss somebody off, the press is who you're gonna piss off. Let's do this. <laughs> so, so um, I, I thought bonus. Yeah, let's. This is cool. <laughs> so I I wasn't upset at pissing the press off for a moment uh, I, I mean I um, they had they had uh, said good stuff about my music but in most of the stuff about it in Shadow Warrior they pretty much ignored me 
uh, when they did did say stuff about me, uh, they said good stuff. But on Shadow Warrior, later on, they'd come back and said good stuff. But when it came to sound effects and when it came to Rise of the Triad, they had ignored me. This time they paid attention, and they didn't. They didn't know who did it though. Right. So I got their attention this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, now, do you have any copies of these games you've worked on? I have uh, a sealed copy of Shadow Warrior sitting in a, a file cabinet back behind me. Mm -hmm. Um. I have digital copies of Duke Nukem. Um, I have a sealed copy of Star Gunner. Star Gunner, yep. Which is another game that I've worked on, which was produced by an Australian company. There you go, yeah. Right about that. Yeah. And uh, somewhere. I think I've got the floppy disks to Rise of the Triad. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but I know where I can get digital copies of it, so it's not a big loss if I don't. Uh, I've got all, I've got every single MIDI file I've ever written in a big directory called MIDI, MIDI file. Yep. And I've got a directory called Rot Song that has every Rot Song that I've ever written. I've got that duplicated on so many backups, it's not funny. I have everything archived from everything that I've ever done. Um, so I don't know if, it, if anybody would be able to come in behind me and find everything, but at least <laughs> I, I know where everything is. Um. Now, which game were you most happy with? Which, which game which was probably your most achievement out of all, all games you worked on? Uh, big tie between three of them: Duke, Rot, and Shadow, and uh, Star Gunner. Star Gunner, okay. Yeah, because Star Gunner was done using tracker music. Tracker, yeah. Which was a big departure from the MIDI that I used for everything else. Uh, it was tracker music like they used to use in the old demo scene back in the early mid-90s. Back when it counted how much memory you were using, how much CP, how many CPU cycles you were using, uh, how much DOS memory you were using. Back before Windows was a big thing. Uh, I wrote Star Gunner, uh, completely under DOS, using a program called Fast Tracker 2. Okay. And even though some of the samples that I used were ripped out of other songs, I used them in a way that they hadn't been used in other songs. And I did do a little bit of my own sampling, not a whole hell of a lot, but I did do some. And I did pull samples from sources other than um, other than other people's songs but if you do listen to my songs from Star Gunner and you were familiar with the demo scene you probably will say hey I've heard that before <laughs> unfortunately okay. uh, but I'm not ashamed to admit that I did that uh, I feel that that's just another form of shareware, and um, I feel like that's the same way that a piano is. I mean, you can't copyright the sound coming out of a piano, you know, and even though these sounds were sampled, yep. they were they were available. And I didn't, I didn't plagiarize the music. All I did was borrow the sound, the individual sound. I made completely new music using it. 
So that's there's that story, and I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I, I, was, I was listening to the soundtrack then, though. It was very upbeat, very upbeat, just because of the premise of the game. Very high energy. Mm. Very high energy. And that links into something that I've recently done, uh, which you can hear if you go on to Twitch. I've been recently commissioned by a Twitch streamer to write music for their stream. Okay. Uh, 20 minutes worth of it, in fact. Wow, that's cool, man. There's a user by the name of Lady Tigress, and that's uh, Lady T-Y-G-R-E-S-S. So if you go on and look for her stream and catch it on uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and fr uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, American time, at 6 p.m. each of those days, you'll be able to listen to, first off, the 10-minute countdown to her stream at 6 p.m. That's uh, 6 p.m. Central Time, uh, Central, Central United States Time, uh, which is about to go from Daylight Time, Daylight Savings Time, back to regular Standard Time come this weekend. And that first track that you'll hear will be a 10 minute long track. It's electronic based music. It's almost like electronic dance music, okay. but it's um, very much in the same uh, high energy realm that Stargunner was in. Right. And then during, the, during her stream, there's another five minute piece of music that she has the option of using which is for when she, whenever she takes a break. Same kind of music, except it's in a, a key that's one step higher than the 10-minute intro. Uh, borrows themes from the intro and is about mm, eight beats per minute slower. The intro is 128 beats per minute. The, the, break music is 120 beats per minute and then when she's done with her stream there's an outro piece of music that is five minutes long that she will always play she always plays the intro and the outro she has the choice to play the the break music but the outro is five minutes long also it borrows themes from both the intro and the break music so that it's a comprehensive suite of songs it's uh, all linked together and uh, it goes back to 128 beats per minute and goes back to the original key that the intro was in everything's like I said all linked together and I think it's something that I'm going to enter for Grammy consideration next year when the voting comes up uh, Hopefully, I'll be able to get somebody to vote for it, other than myself. Hmm. Mm, sounds promising, man. I I hope so. <laughs> uh, Grammy vote Grammy voting is going on right now. It ends today, and I haven't voted yet, so I need to take care of that sometime today. That's cool, man. Um, let's go back to Rise of Tried real quick. Um, what was it like working with um, Tom Hall at the time during? when you're making music for Eyes of Tried. Imagine working with the entire cast of Monty Python. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they had that much of a great sense of humor. Uh, that's... Uh, imagine... Yeah, just imagine working with the entire cast of Monty Python, except that they're able to code. And that's Tom Hall. Um... He, he's serious, but at the same time, uh, he can throw a he could throw a Python line out in a split second or any other joke that you want. I mean, he's a one-man uh, comedy store. Uh, he knows when not to be serious. He knows when to be serious. 
He knows exactly how to give feedback in a way that helps and uh, knows how to give encouragement to a person who needs it and knows what kind of encouragement is needed. Uh, can't say enough about the man. He, he was a joy to work with. And he, uh, he inspired me to come up with some really great stuff. I mean, I, I can only describe it that way. And if it sounds like I'm bragging about my own music, I'm not. I mean, he, he inspired me to really come up with some good ideas. Like, for example, the uh, bit in Havana Smooth, one of my uh, jazz numbers. Uh, if you listen at one point, there's a big brass hit where you have bomb, 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 coming out of the speakers answering each other. That was his idea. Well. So that's just one small example of the kind of stuff I got from him. And also, um, you played one of the monks in Rise of Tried. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I, I was the monk that sucks the life out of you. And almost sucked the life out of the game, from what I've been told afterwards. Right. Uh, yeah, uh... Uh, there was just way too many of me put into the game. Uh, but uh, there was one screenshot, even, of me up near El Oscuro, floating in the air, that had El Oscuro up here, and one of me down here, and it juxtaposed us like that, and had me, my face up right into El Oscuro's crotch and had a thought balloon coming out saying the things I do for this job. Um, <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, I, I got scanned in for the, the death monk and a little trivia behind that when I was scanned in I was dealing with an injury right. uh, I had had a bit of a slip in the tech support room while I was working the phones one day during lunch my chair had come out from underneath me and my left leg uh slid out at an unnatural angle and hyperextended my knee wow. and I was uh, forced to wear a leg brace for uh, about a week or two and while I was being scanned in I had this leg brace on underneath my monk outfit so the weird walk that I had as a monk was not planned it was forced because i had this knee brace i mean this leg brace on yeah i i couldn't walk any other way <laughs> yeah because i just stood stood you on a um rotating turntable and just scanned you in my mm -hmm. directions and yeah okay. yeah I couldn't, I, I mean, I was supposed to look like I was limping and I just did a hyper real good job of it because of the way that I had to stand because of my knee. Because when you see you in the game, when, when you see the death monk in the game, um, you can see it waddling. So it looks like you're limping, but you're waddling at the same time. The yeah, I was really, that, yeah, I was really limping. Mm. That's the thing. I mean... I, I wasn't faking it. I was really limping. Yeah, there you go, yeah. Okay, man. Um, all right, so I guess this is it, Mr. Lee Jackson, uh, for this episode. But, before, um, we go, yep. before we go, I just want to ask, um, correct me if I'm wrongly, but were you working on a book recently? Working on a book? Yeah. 
Oh, dear God in heaven. Uh, All right. I was. Um, <laughs> that project has been infinite, has been, um, has been shelved, unfortunately. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, uh, turned out that it was a piece of garbage. Um, I got it reviewed by some people who actually knew what they were doing. And turned out I didn't have much in the way of a premise for the book. Mm -hmm. It was just one long, big, rambling uh, piece of nothing. Um, I've been advised to rewrite it from scratch. And I haven't found the itch to scratch yet. So my music has taken precedence over book writing. Uh, so I've taken my references down off of the website that I was working on a book. Uh, just because I haven't found the inspiration to restart it. I mean, I for the longest time there, I thought I had a good thing going until I was promptly told, no, you don't <laughs> by people who know, who know what a good thing is. And, um, just in reading books about how to write a book, I learned quite promptly. Uh, yeah, they're right. I'm not. So rather disappointing to learn mm. that so late in the game yeah. but uh better that i learn it now than uh get it published than after i make uh after i self-publish it and make a public fool of myself mm. so uh don't want to do that although i mean the the idea that i've got i've been told is quite good i mean the basic magic system that i've got for lack of a better term uh is quite unique but i don't have a way of putting it into something useful that would make a good book uh just not it's just not working yet so there's what happened to the book the name of it was tapper by the way and Tapper just got tapped out. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but no, who knows? Maybe in the future, get much inspiration or just the review. Uh, maybe even, or even as just sort of a, an exercise that maybe might be something that you just want to uh, work on. As they say, never really say never, but understand never. that music takes precedent. Yeah, I have not said never to the book. I mean, it's yeah. still percolating back somewhere in the rear burner of my brain. But uh, music right now is fully a forefront. Uh, so uh, that's going to be where I am for now. And as long as uh, music is something that I do, I'm going to be writing music. Fair enough. Um, just one more uh, question I want to ask. I don't think we've uh, got the opportunity to ask yet. I know you've mentioned about the difficulty of making sound effects in the past, but was there one particular challenging moment in your career when you look back on this and say, yeah, I'm glad I actually achieved that? Oh, in my career that I achieved that. Um, or just really just uh, looking back saying that was a really difficult job, but I'm glad it got done really. Voice directing. Yeah, I'd have to say that would be it because I wound up not knowing what I was doing and came away with a lot of experience. Um, I went in to my first voice directing job, a complete rank amateur, uh, and met somebody who knew what the, what the job required uh, the person who ran the studio knew what the job required and was willing to uh, work with me. He was he had the patience. Um, his name was Bill Reardon. And 
him and the voice actor uh, were patient enough with me to uh, let me find my feet, so to speak. And over the course of time that it took to get all of the voices that I did direct out up to and including the voice of Lo Wang for Shadow Warrior, which was the big project that I was really proud of. Mm. John William Galt uh, doing Shadow Warrior. I mean, I know what the press said about John Galt, but uh, I'm still very proud of that. We did a damn good job on putting those voices together. Uh, I'm just glad that I got that out. So there, yeah. there's your answer. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Well, I think uh, that concludes our interview. That does it, Les. I think so. I think so, no. yeah. Um, uh, thanks, Lady Jackson, uh, for coming on for this very special episode of the Two Big Gamers podcast. And um, yeah, for all the listeners out there who have tuned in, um, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Two Big Gamers podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for having me. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.